Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, May 4th. I'm Ashley Norwood in for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show. It was not designated for utilization by the executive branch of government. It was given to the taxpayers of Mississippi. The legislature moves to strip CARES Act appropriation power from the governor. And the Gulf States Newsroom Roundtable compares the local responses of Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. Then UMMC's top executive shares her thoughts on Mississippi's COVID-19 crisis. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's governor may consider vetoing a bill passed by lawmakers in what could be a constitutional crisis over who has the authority to spend federal coronavirus relief funds. Legislators and Governor Tate Reeves both argue they have the right to spend $1.25 billion in federal monies for coronavirus relief. Lawmakers returned to Jackson Friday to pass an amendment to Senate Bill 2772. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says those funds are designated to the people of Mississippi and not the governor. It was not designated for utilization by the executive branch of government. It was given to the state of Mississippi. It was given to the taxpayers of Mississippi. It was to be used to reimburse individuals that had expended money to cover COVID-19. So it's given to get to reimburse groups like MEMA that have done a great job for the state of Mississippi, Department of Human Services, Department of Health to be reimbursed those. The University of Mississippi Medical Center has expenses. When this occurred, the legislature, the, both the House and the Senate, requested the Legislative Budget Office to go forward and ask all of the state agencies, what do you need from this $1.25 billion. When we, get, when we asked for that, we got information from each of the agencies what they needed to be reimbursed. I personally have repeatedly requested from state agencies, do you need any money? What do you need right now? 
As I discussed with each of those agencies, they repeatedly told me that they did not need money immediately, that they needed reimbursement. And that included the University of Mississippi Medical Center, MEMA, Dr. Dobbs, and others. So these funds were given to the state of Mississippi to be appropriated by the state of Mississippi. Hoseman says the constitutionality of appropriation powers is paramount. We have had a disagreement with the executive branch. That disagreement involved whether or not the legislature should appropriate this in a timely, transparent manner, or should $1.25 billion be given to the executive without any regard for input from the individual state. Following the Constitution is real important. It's real important. In times like this, when we are so challenged by tornadoes and floods and pandemics, the rock that we hang on is the Constitution. And it says that, when the, it says that the legislature appropriates the money. So the legislature will come in and they'll decide, I don't get a vote on this. The Senate will get a vote on it and the House of Representatives. They'll decide how this money is to be spent. That's the way it should be. Debate over funding grew heated when House Democrat Omeria Scott of Laurel asked Speaker Pro Tem Jason White of West how lawmakers plan to use funds to compensate essential state workers. Well, do you think that the essential employees, state employees, who are at Ellisville State School and Whitfield and Parchman and South Mississippi, do you think that they deserve to have hazardous pay compensation since they have been required to go and work long before they could get a test. Many of them have not had a test long before they could get gloves, masks, shields, PPE, and they're still out there working. You don't, you don't think that we ought to want to make that commitment today and say to them as we go forward that since we're fighting for the people and the taxpayers of the state of Mississippi that the one thing we're going to do is to make sure that those people get compensated for having been out there on the front line. The House passed the bill unanimously by a vote of 112 to 0. In the Senate, only, only Republican senators Chris McDaniel of Ellisville and Melanie Sojourner of Natchez voted against it. Senator John Horn, a Democrat from Jackson, voted present. Reeves responded to legislative leaders during his daily press briefing, saying control of the funds is essential to his emergency response. I cannot do my job without the funds that the Trump administration secured for and expect governors to use. I can't do my job, but more important than that, it affects you, the people of this great state. You deserve better. We have been relying on the CARES Act funds to pay for the escalation of our employment system. They evidently don't want us to do that. If the legislature is successful, we would have to go back to 50 employees at employment security, and that would be catastrophic for the people who so desperately need unemployment assistance. We want emergency funds to go to some essential workers right away to keep them on the job in this critical time. They don't want us to do that. They want me to sit on my hands, call a special session of the legislature, and beg them to fund the things that need to be funded so we can respond. 
I'm truly confused and disappointed by the sudden change in the way the state is treating emergency funds, or at least the way the legislature wants to treat emergency funds. House Speaker Philip Gunn says the measures taken by the legislature are not political posturing, but rather preservation of the Constitution. It's about preserving the people's voice in government. The framers of our Constitution made sure that the people, through their legislators, would have a voice in how taxpayer money is spent. They did not give us government by one man. The people's voice in government is sacred, and we intend to preserve it. We reject the notion that the government by the people cannot effectively deal with emergency situations. We reject any attempts to characterize what we're doing here today as a political battle or a power grab, as we've heard in recent days. The governor has recognized that the power to spend taxpayer money belongs to the legislature. But he says the legislature delegated that power to spend federal funds to the governor. He compared this situation to a tornado or a hurricane. He says it's no different than Hurricane Katrina or the 2008 physical crisis. We disagree. The facts are different. A tornado or a hurricane strikes a limited area and then it is over. The impact and response may go on, but the storm itself is short-lived. The coronavirus crisis, however, is felt everywhere by everyone. It touches every aspect of life from health to work to education. It affects the entire state. And the virus itself is with us for many weeks and months. As the governor himself has stated many times, we are in uncharted waters. Emergency powers suited to dealing with localized and short-lived weather emergencies are not appropriate to deal with the ongoing statewide pandemic crisis that we are experiencing right now. Reeves has suggested he might disregard the bill, saying it conflicts with existing statute. Routinely, the governor has five days to sign or veto a bill after it's been passed. Coming up, a Gulf States newsroom roundtable compares the local responses of Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. The Gulf states of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama are experiencing shared concerns as their local governments respond to the coronavirus pandemic. But unlike other parts of the country, the states aren't taking a coordinated regional approach to reopening their economies. Mississippi Edition host Karen Brown joins MPB's Kobe Vance along with WBHM's Janae Pierre and Paul Braun of WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans in a special Gulf States newsroom roundtable. We just topped 28,000 cases in the state and we're a little bit over 1,800 deaths. Um, So, I mean, as of, again, yesterday afternoon, that puts us sixth in the nation per capita when it comes to cases and is one of the reasons we've been slower to come back online compared to some of the other Gulf states. What is 
the populations, you know, the residents of Louisiana, what is their reaction? Are they anxious to reopen, to get back to work? Are they concerned about their health? What's the general feeling? It, it depends largely on which part of the state you're looking at. In hotspots like New Orleans and, and in Baton Rouge, to a certain extent, there's a, a fair amount of acceptance around keeping the stay-at-home order in place. Uh, in more rural and sort of the Acadiana regions of our state, there's some resistance. Um, we've seen some some lawmakers in those areas in particular start circulating some petitions to get the economy back up and running sooner rather than later. Um, and that's led to a little bit of strife in our state house. Um, and there is a little bit of, of sort of slackening of these these measures. Um, but for the most part, that stay at home order will remain in place through the middle of the month. Janae. Alabama's Republican Governor Kay Ivey was the last of the three to issue any type of strong restrictions, and now the state has partially reopened. Has the number of cases of uh, of deaths or or, the, or cases of infection um, diminished? Do they justify reopening at this time? Um, so the death toll in Alabama from the coronavirus is now up to 272, and it's going up um, all week. The state has also passed 7,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19. Nearly 1,000 people hospitalized from COVID-19 uh, since mid-March. So the numbers are still increasing here. As tourism season kicks off for the Alabama coast, for all of us really, but in Alabama, is there pressure to get things open for the summer? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So the state stay-at-home order, which led to the Alabama beach ban, ended Thursday evening. And according to reports, uh, once the clock struck 5 p.m., dozens of people started strolling in, uh, drawing a pretty decent crowd over at Orange Beach. And if we recall, this outbreak forced beach closures um, during spring break. So the state experienced losses there. And so now as we approach the summer months and hope to flatten the curve. We see that Alabama's beaches were the first to see restrictions lifted. Kobe, Mississippi's Republican governor, Tate Reeves, has echoed a lot of what the White House is talking about. For instance, the cure being worse than the disease. How coordinated is the response between the governor and state health officials? Um, From the beginning, Governor Reeves says he was taking a data-driven approach, and he took his time and looked at the data whenever the health department noticed that a spike of cases in Lauderdale County uh, started to speak, uh, started to peak. He issued a shelter-in-place order for that county, and then the following day, he had to issue a a shelter-in-place order for the rest of the state as case numbers continue to rise. But Again, you still have people on both sides saying some people saying he's overreacting, some people saying he's underreacting. The cases in Mississippi uh, continue to go up and the death count, of course, continues to go up. But Governor Reeves has says those numbers have leveled off that and he's comparing, I believe, current numbers to what was projected previously. Is that what is causing Governor Reeves to make the decisions he's making Yes, um, he's been looking at those numbers. He's been seeing as uh, he, he's looked at projections, uh, especially the ones issued by Washington for what um, Mississippi should be in right now. Uh, and he said that we are now much lower, and, and he's saying that we are now on a plateau um, and that the state is going to be in that for possibly a while. Um, now, he started saying that last week, 
uh, when we went into a, uh, a safer at home order. Now we're looking at a time where the state is possibly going to be in this for a while, but he continues to want to reopen the state as fast as possible to get the state's economy back open. Janae Pierre is a reporter with WBHM in Alabama. Paul Braun is a reporter in Baton Rouge for WRKF, who's partnering with WWNO in New Orleans. Kobe Vance is a reporter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Thank you all very much. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Coming up, UMMC's top executive shares her thoughts on Mississippi's COVID-19 crisis. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi guys, this is Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm inviting you to tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for quick, easy ways to incorporate healthy lifestyle into your daily routine. Be sure to tune in Mondays at 11 for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. From coordinating with the Department of Health on one-day testing sites to developing clinical trials on a variety of treatments for COVID-19, the University of Mississippi Medical Center has played a principal role in the state's response to the coronavirus crisis. Dr. Luann Woodard is UMMC's top executive. She shares, she shares her thoughts on the pandemic in Mississippi with our Michael Guidry. We're still learning a, a lot, and I think we will be in that phase of still learning until we just know more about the disease process as a whole. But, you know, we know for sure that certainly there's still a good bit of activity in Mississippi. We are seeing in our own inpatient population census as well as, you know, we're following the, the numbers that are reported every day by the Department of Health. The, the numbers of positives are still going up. So we see that at the statewide level, and we're experiencing that here at the medical center. So we are seeing more positive patients um, every day. We have not yet hit our plateau. The new daily cases, uh, as far as the reports released by the Department of Health, have, have revealed that we're hovering above 200, for, 200 positive tests for a week now. Uh, hospitalizations are at their highest sustained levels, um, over 400 hospitalizations for six of the last seven days. Dr. Dobbs, on multiple occasions at the governor's press briefings, has had to plead with Mississippians to exercise protective measures like wearing masks in public because he has personally observed a lack of adherence to those guidelines. As restrictions begin to loosen and the governor begins to look at ways to reopen the economy, are, are we in danger of a second wave? I have also witnessed um, people being out and about more in the last few weeks than than I would have imagined with the shelter in place. And I have seen some people out with masks on and some people not. 
I, I do think the response to the original shelter-in-place order and the, the steps that the governor took, that Dr. Dobbs, and that all of us as citizens in the state took um, served Mississippi very well. I think that served Mississippi very well in slowing down what we feared would be a surge. But but I worry that the public gets the message that okay we're past the we're past the peak that everything is better and now we can go back to normal because I don't think we can do that and nobody's giving that message but but I just see and hear it um, everywhere probably just like you and others I think people are so tired of this people are tired of it. There's an eagerness for kids to get back into school, back into the activities that they do. Certainly the economic um, impact is something that we cannot ignore. My worry is that, in fact, as these things happen, we will see more cases on top of the current climb that we have right now. So we just have to all be smart about it. We talked about the the shelter-in-place efforts back in March um, Mississippi Today uh, reported on a copy of an email that you sent the governor prior to the shelter-in-place order urging action and, and, and stronger measures. Can you comment on the, on the impetus for that email? The, the impetus was really just the concern that we had in the healthcare community about the seriousness of this virus and the level of infectiousness of the virus Really, what we had to look at were some of the, at that time, the outbreak on the West Coast and the outbreaks that were happening in other countries. And even at that time, I think it was clear um, in the medical community and in the healthcare community that this virus was just a little different than things that we are used to dealing with from the standpoint of how contagious is it and how infectious is it. So that was really the drive behind that. I wanted to be sure that that, that a voice, I'm not the only voice, of course, but that a voice from the medical community was putting out the concerns and the, the, um, the, the, the worries around what we were seeing. UMMC is now a few weeks into a number of clinical trials. Right. Uh, when can we expect to see some informative data from those trials? Well, you know, this is my this is back to my answer of just don't know. You know, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, you know, it will be a little time before we feel informed by those clinical trials. All of them are part of clinical trials that are happening across the country. Once we have early and preliminary findings, that will be part of a larger pool of early and preliminary findings from other locations in the country so that so that there's a sense of, you know, we've seen improvement with this particular protocol. Is this what's happening everywhere else? And you get a feeling of some validity to small numbers because, you know, when you have small numbers, there's a worry that, that, that the number itself is large enough to really feel like there's validity there. So that helps give validity to small numbers. And, and, you know, based on just the little bit I've seen in basically the last 24 hours, there is an antiviral drug called remdesivir that it looks like we are, you know, that may offer some um, potential efficacy in treatment for this. But, but, you know, that may be next week's news may be, well, oh, no, that was a fluke. 
So it's just too early to tell right now, but the criticality of it is the only way we'll be able to figure this out is by conducting these clinical trials. And so it's, you know, that is one of the bright spots in our um, in our whole, you know, events that are happening here um, is the fact that, indeed, we are doing these clinical trials. That And that inspires all of us to feel like, okay, we're, we are part of making progress to getting some of these answers to the really hard questions that so far have gone unanswered. Dr. Luann Woodward is UMMC's top executive. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Mississippi Department of Health is continuing its aggressive testing strategy this week through additional one-day collection sites. Two sites will be available tomorrow, one in Noxabee County at the Noxabee City Civic Center in Macon, the other in Claiborne County at the County Parks and Rec Office in Port Gibson. Anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 and feels they should be tested must first go through a free screening from a UMMC clinician through the C Spire Health UMMC triage app. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.